Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zip Terrace. Tony, how's it going? Will, it's going great. Your microphone sounds fantastic tonight, so excited to get some nice, clear Kings talk. Well, I'm really, really hoping that my mic goes to crap one more time, just to annoy all of our listeners. Yeah, I'll look pretty bad there. Yeah, yeah, we'll blame this one on you this time. Um, well, he's a Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, and the troop writer French Flick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, always an absolute pleasure to have you. How's it going? Well, great to be back with you guys. Obviously, we've got a lot of interesting things to talk about uh, <laughs> as this uh, year moves along. Interesting is a wonderful way to put it. It's, it's a, that's, a half, uh, that's a glass half full of uh, interesting right there. Um, speaking of this, the Kings have gone a three and six since we last spoke. Um, they beat the Pelicans by 13. They beat the Hornets by 30, which was kind of the uh, high watermark on the season so far. And uh, the Pistons by 22 last night between the blowout wins against Charlotte and Detroit. Uh, the Kings did this insignificant, not so dramatic stunt of uh, a losing four straight and lost four straight to the Pacers, Sun Spurs and the Thunder. Uh, my first question for you guys today taking everything into consideration with the team being six and eight and losing to bad teams and beating a good team or two. Is it too soon to freak out about the Kings? Yes, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I mean, doesn't mean that it, that, that, that it is too soon, but I, I think it is. I think just the schedule being what it is and, and what we've seen good and bad. And uh, I, I just, uh, I would choose to uh, wait and panic and get all depressed uh, later that's just my you know i'm just not ready to uh slash my wrist just yet it's just a little early tony as a fan who hasn't had to endure 35 seasons of this is it uh is it too early to uh to freak out i think uh your level of freak out probably comes down to what your expectations were heading in sure. i know we talked about predictions and expectations prior to the season starting and i thought this team was going to be a play-in contender i thought they would probably finish 10th and if you look at the standings, if the season ended today, that's exactly where they'd end up. They're in the 10th spot right now at six and eight. So is it too early to freak out? I think so. Like if you zoom out, yes, that doesn't mean that in the day-to-day, -day, you know, a loss to the Thunder like they had where you get Lou Dort stripping De'Aaron Fox, who had been struggling to that point all year, and you have fans freaking out. Uh, I think that's also totally fair because that's sort of the fan base that the Kings through their actions has cultivated this fan base of always expe expecting things to go south or go wrong. So I don't fault anybody for freaking out and I'll certainly contribute to that in the moment. But if you zoom out and look at the record and where they are, um, it's too early for maybe that kind of a freak out. This is the kind of pessimist that I am. I think they're playing better than I expected them to. So go. I've been sitting pretty, you know, they lost uh, uh, that game against the Thunder, a game that I didn't get to see. I got to see three quarters of it. But um, uh, uh, it was kind of eventual to me that like they would they would lose a game against a team like the Thunder. They would they would end up on a streak of some sort. Now, four games isn't nine games. They were able to do the thing that uh, the Kings couldn't do last year. And we we'd said at the beginning, I think of the beginning of this season, if the Kings could just cut their nine game losing streaks 
to four game losing streaks and inject one or two wins in there. That's the difference between a play in appearance and being straight up in the lottery. And I think they did, a, uh, they did what they had to do against the Pacers last, or against the uh, Pistons last night. They were able to, uh, to break that streak. Jerry, I wanted to know your opinion on, uh, on how you think the team is playing in general and, and whether or not their defense has, li- has lived up to the expectations, whether or not you see problems with their offense, just what your general assessment of the team is right now. Well, I, I mean, certainly there's, there's parts that have really disappointed me, but uh, having said that, I mean, I look at the, through the, the, not just the record, but the win margin, and they actually have a win margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a very rare thing in the last 15 years at any mm-hmm. stage of the season. And so I'm a real big believer in that. I mean, the, the one stat, the most important stat is wins and losses. And, and really, uh, I think when you, when you get to what a team's going to be, the win margin probably may be the most, the second most important because by the, by the time you've played 50, 60 games, uh, if you're a, a point plus a point uh, you're probably going to have a winning record and if you're minus a point you're probably going to be under a winning record that's just kind of way it's worked and so on that basis just that basis alone I'd say uh, okay they're they're better than they were last year even though the record may not reflect that and uh, I think that's what we thought uh, you know that they were that, that you know at least my per- assessment was that this is a more talented team and I believe it is I I, I think it's been had guys kind of misplaced played you know out of you know, like for instance I, I I'm probably going on here but uh the idea of Mo Harkless as a starter just I I just about want to gag every time I see him trot out there uh you know because it's it's like wasted minutes you know, he's a pretty good defender and I, I give him that, you know, he's, he belongs in the NBA and he can defend a little bit, but you, you're just not getting enough from that position. And it's almost sad that Metu can come in there and be so much better uh, right away. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. that, I mean, that's almost depressing, but it's also true. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting some from it. So, you know, I, I think, you know, that, you know, just kind of playing, guys way more than they maybe should have played and out of position type things, maybe a little bit uh, has hurt the team early. But then again, I I know as a a coach, I mean, you can't know what you don't know. You know, it's like Terrence Davis has been awful, just awful. But I, I'm as surprised I know as Luke Walton is, Mm -hmm. but having said that as surprised as I am, I'd also say, I don't know if I'm going to play you anymore <laughs> for, for a long, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say give up for it, but, but I mean, it's like, well, you don't, there's no reason to feel like you got to get him in a game now at all. And so, so anyway, I know I, I went on there, but, but I think you get the gist of my general feelings. I'm curious, Jerry, how much of, of these first 14 games have been Luke Walton maybe um, experimenting with lineups, kind of an extended preseason, knowing that he's got some confidence in his team you know, with, with starting a guy that scores zero points and how much of it is him now like going, Oh shit, I need a, I need a change. We need to throw Metu in here. Or I'm, I'm on the hot seat. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. And I don't think that's unusual. I mean, you, you have a lot of question marks on this team, on this roster, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, regardless, I mean, you don't didn't really know for sure what you're going to get out of certain guys. I mean, there are certain guys you, you've got a pretty good idea, but, but I, 
I think uh, once he made the decision not to play Bagley, and I think that was a big decision, and I think probably the correct decision. Uh, uh, th then it was like, okay, who are you going to play there? And I think, you know, probably a lot of coaches might have done the very same thing. Said, well, Harkless has been a veteran. You know, he, he'll try to fit in and he'll give us something. And, and he, he did. He just didn't give you enough. And, and then when the team obviously got blown out a couple of times and played and didn't get anything from the position, then I think he felt, he, I, I just got to do something, whatever it is, and whether it's uh, just go for small guys and, and Rashawn or, or uh, try to see if we can find somebody that can play the four that might actually score a basket now and then and, uh, and rebound and rebound. So anyway, so I, 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 I mean, I'm not probably as critical of Luke on that as, as most are, because I, I, I think anybody thinks they knew, knew for sure how it'd work out with Harkless or Metu or Davis or anything. I, I, I have a tough time, uh, you know, some things just, just, uh, you just have to play some games to find things out sometimes. Sure. Tony, I'm curious. Um, I, I, I kind of was, I had my doubts before the season started on whether or not the Kings could be a playoff team with Mo Harkless as their starting four. And now I've got a question. Do you think the Kings can be a playoff team with Chemezi Metu at the four? I definitely uh, would have said no, although it's hard to say that coming off of a Detroit Pistons game where he played pretty well. And I also don't want to put too much stock into that game because I'm sure we all watched it here. The Pistons are terrible and they played <laughs> awful the other night. And it's kind of, it's interesting that we're recording this podcast right after that game, because if they had lost, if they had played a, a better team and they were on a five game losing streak, I think the whole tone of some of this would be different. And then to now, you know, flip my own take on Chemezi Metu because of one good game against the Pistons kind of feels forced and, and weird too. Um, so I would say in general, no, you know, I, I don't think a playoff team uh, starting Chemezi Metu is a, is a good idea for a team with playoff expectations. But when he just proved me sort of wrong in his second opportunity, it's hard to come out here and say that, you know, with some, with some force. But I do think it's interesting that Monty McNair sort of assembled this roster, this guard-heavy roster, and talked about how they would play three-guard lineups and, and play small. And Luke Walton, and I don't, I don't know if there's a disconnect here, but Luke Walton has played about as traditional as you can to the point where he's forcing an unproven guy like Chemezi Metu into the starting lineup as a traditional four, as a, you know, a, a minimum contract player when he has all these other veteran, maybe more proven guards. And instead of sort of leaning in to how Monty McNair constructed the roster, Luke Walton is sort of playing it a little bit more traditional with Chemezi Metu citing rebounding concerns, which are legitimate. But I think it's, it's the most interesting part is that Luke Walton is, uh, tying his job security, his hot seat on Chemezi Metu's shoulders. Um, and I guess we'll see how it plays out for him. Jerry, what do you think about uh, Chemezi Metu starting in a lineup or starting long-term for the Kings? Well, I, I think Tony, uh, I would tend to agree with Tony. I, I mean, I do think it's, it, well, we saw that against Detroit, he was pretty good. Uh, what does that mean? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice to see, you know, until proven otherwise, mm -hmm. Uh, there maybe he can do that and and I think uh, I, I say credit to Luke there and and I'll, I'll go back to one other thing I think one of the things that that's made it tougher for this team uh, with the, the you know this using the kind of three guards or four guards whatever is as much as we all love Davion Mitchell and and you know I guys I'm I, I like the guy but he's been totally unproductive as an offensive player 
He just has. You know, we we kind of want to act like we're not seeing it because we like we like him so much on defense. But the reality is he's totally unproductive. And so that makes it a little harder uh, to not uh, go try to find somebody, another player who can actually get a carom now and then in the world of Kings basketball, that's called rebounds. And so that's where a guy like Met, who you almost have to give him a chance and pray that he can be productive, reasonably productive going forward. Cause if he can, uh, that might make the difference. Uh, odds are, you know, I, if you said I had to, uh, you know, bet the family farm on it, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't do that just on the Detroit game. But but I, I can, I wouldn't, hey, the, the guy is, he, he's certainly big enough and athletic enough and uh, does have some skills. If, uh, you know, the thing we didn't like in summer league or I didn't, he tried to do too much. Mm-hmm. He tried to be a star. And if he tries to be a star now in this new role, then he'll become a liability. Yep. Gary is a uh, is only because you brought it up here. What does Davion Mitchell have to do to become something more productive? Is it just his shooting percentages and that you need him to shoot more than forty percent from the field and twenty nine percent from from three? Does he need to be more of a, a ball hawk? What what are you what are you looking for out of our rookie this year in order for him to uh, to get his season really started? Yeah, I, I think it'll happen. You know, I do. I, I have faith that he'll find his niche. I think he probably like a lot of the Kings guys gets caught up in trying to score too much. Uh, You know, I think coming off the bench and wanting to get involved in the offense, maybe more than getting other guys involved. I'd like to see a little more playmaking out of him. Uh, That part is disappointing to me is, is just assist assisted baskets ratio, you know, and I, so I, if, if, if at this stage of his career, I would tell Davion, don't worry about scoring, just go play. And, and, you know, if, if you play 15 minutes and take one shot, that's fine. You're, you know, if I were Luke, I'd say, look, I'm going to play you 10 to 15 minutes every half, uh, regardless. So it has nothing to do uh, with how many points you score. It's how well you play. And I want to play you, but you, you've got to be more productive, which might mean shooting less, uh, shooting less and being more selective. And I, and I think it's that simple. And I, cause he, I think I like his three point shot. He hadn't hit it, but I think he will. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, developing a little floater, which he's got to have. It's just not good enough right now. So, uh, but uh, the, the reality is he isn't good enough right now. And, and there's no point in saying you are when you're not, <laughs> you know, it's like the thing I've learned with players is that if uh, you tell them that boy, everything's great. You just keep doing what you're doing. Don't be surprised if they keep doing what they're doing. We're gonna speaking of uh, speaking of uh, struggling point guards here. Let's let's go to Fox for a second here, and I'll and I'll send this to Tony first. And Jerry, please jump in here whenever you want to. Um, Fox has kind of had to see he's seen his numbers improve a little bit. The Kings' schedule has obviously softened uh, quite a bit. Tony, talk to me about Foxy's last few games and what you see from him. Well, I think if you if you're searching for a bright side or some silver lining, um, he's been much better in his last four games than he was in the first ten. Uh, what's interesting about Fox this season is we kind of expected a struggling three point shooter, you know, uh, you know, an inconsistent three point shot, but it's his two point percentage that is actually really sinking how he's playing this year. And part of that, you can probably attribute to how the game is being uh, refereed officiated at the rim, those shots that would have been free throws and taken off of your 
field goal percentage last year are now misses that are added to your field goal percentage and also driving your points per game down because you're not getting to the free throw line. Um, that's impacting Fox like it is other players. I think Jason Tatum is another player where if you just look at his numbers, they look horrendous compared to how he's been playing um, prior. So it's not, Fox isn't the only one that is struggling with this. And again, if you're looking for silver linings, which I think is it's something that you can do with Fox because I expect him to be better than he was during the first 10 games. Over the last uh, four, his field goal percentage is up to 46. It was 48% last year. So he's basically playing how he played on offense efficiently from last year. His three-point percentage is actually up in the last four games, 35% uh, on four attempts a game, which is a good number for him. He was shooting around eight attempts over the first four or five games, which is way too much for Fox. But if he can limit that to four good threes instead of eight chucks and he'll hit 35% of them, he'll take that. So I guess you just need to hope that this is a sign that Fox is improving. And I understand a four-game sample size is tiny, especially when one of those games was against the Pistons. Again, we already talked about how bad they are. But uh, from someone who thinks that Fox wasn't going to struggle all year and would eventually get better, you could look at these last four games as him starting to crawl out of it. And I guess that's the hope for both myself and the Kings. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. I think he's uh, certainly moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, I'm not one to say, you know, it's, it seems like, you know, I, I guess if I were working for the Kings, I'd be saying, oh, you know, he's, he's right there. You know, it's like, he's right. just, just the greatness is around the corner. Well, th that's just not true either. Uh, right. But, but he's moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, I think he has gotten a little more selective with his shooting, which was very important. And uh, as Tony said, I mean, you know, the rules are different this year and, and I love it. I don't like the idea that guys can just drive in the basket and create the contact and beg for calls. And I think uh, and that's really what we've seen for the last few years. Now they're not quite given it, but it's, it's, it's fair. I mean, everybody knows it. So uh, he's adjusting there. I think the, 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 dis, maybe the disappointing thing to me uh, is more his, uh, his assist turnover ratio, you know, and, and it really, honestly, I, I felt like his handle looks sloppier, uh, very, you know, I, I just losing, a, losing a ball in tight situations, uh, doesn't seem to have the, as good a control as maybe I, I thought he had. Uh, sometimes your eyes, you know, lie to you a little bit, but it, you know, it's like the steal there that Dort got on him. You know, it's almost like, I don't even know if Dort wanted to get it. He just had to take it. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was, sure. it was there. <laughs> uh, so, so th those things are concerned me. I, I think he'll, you know, he's on his way to, he's still unproductive by the way. You know, I, I'm one of those believers in points per shot kind of thing and and per personal efficiency rating. He, he's below uh, winning numbers. And, and so so that that especially for a guy that shoots the most, uh, that's that's really important. He's got to He's got to get into the those uh, those positive numbers to where it, it relates to winning, you know, kind of like Barnes and Holmes are just off the charts efficient. And if, if, if Fox, if Fox can get up there, then there's no reason to believe that this team wouldn't become significantly better. Tony brought up the uh, Pistons game, but I, I was more, I thought he was going to say that Spurs game where the Spurs really, really owned the Kings and uh, Fox had his best game of the season with 37 points, but it, it still didn't. I mean, he, he dominated that game personally, but the Kings were terrible. That was a game without Ty Tyrese uh, Halliburton. And so it got me curious. How much do you think uh, some of this climb out of the hole has been 
in Tyrese's absence and how much that this struggle has been because him and Tyrese are still learning from each other. Well, I, I think there's something to it. You know, I, of course I'm one that I like, I like Tyrese with the ball more, you know, I, I just think it uh, is better for the team, especially in the half court. Uh, I, I guess if I had a, a wish, uh, I would like to see, you know, De'Aaron off the ball be a lot more active. You know, I mean, I, we kind of see him go stand in the corner and uh, spectate and, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to, I always say, that's one of the things I just love watching Steph Curry. You know, I mean, when he doesn't have the ball, he's still playing. I mean, he's moving, he's cutting, uh, he's available. And, and certainly he's great with the ball. He's great without the ball. And I think for a small guard, uh, you know, that, and I think that would uh, really help De'Aaron's game, you know, to get more efficient off the ball and without using the dribble so much. But, uh, you know, I, 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 and I think with, because Halliburton is, is very efficient in my mind, uh, as far as finding, finding guys to shoot, you know, I mean, there's not a selfish bone in his body. You know, he's, he really is never kind of looking for himself, even though sometimes he should more, but so, you know, it's a work in pro, like you say, a work in progress, but I'm not one of those that, that sees anything wrong with Halliburton really handling more in the half court in particular. Tony, as a fan, do you feel like, uh, I think there's a lot of people that came into the season hoping uh, Fox would be a 27 point per game, seven assist type guy. Uh, was that asking too much at this point of the season, seeing how he struggled? Uh, should we be expecting more this version of him as a guy that we hope can maybe get 21, 22 uh, on the season? Do you think he could still climb to 27 points per game this season and regain that form? Or do you feel like this is more the Fox we should expect to see this season or over the course of his contract? Well, this is a Jerry point and he's made it many times and I'm going to steal it from him. De'Aaron Fox is a max contract guy. Now all the excuses, any, anything that is a step back is unacceptable. You know, he's the leader of this team, best player, highest paid. People are predicting all-star appearances and whatnot. No time for regression for De'Aaron Fox, no step backs, no excuses. Uh, I expect him to be a 25 point per game scorer, or I guess the only caveat here is he can score less. And if the Kings are winning, I'll still give him just the same amount of praise as I would if he, you know, is averages 20, but the Kings are a, an eight seed uh, and he's doing it efficiently. That's fine too, but he can't be the reason they're losing. And I would say if you could, you know, put the, the blame on anyone for the losses this year of any player on the roster or coach or general manager, the one player who isn't doing what we expected him to do the most to me is De'Aaron Fox. And uh, so I don't think our expectations for him were too high. And I think right now he's clearly the one. And again, I talked about how his last four games have been better, but if you take the season as a whole, to me, he's clearly been the, the biggest problem. And I, in some ways that might be a good thing because I also think he's sort of the safest bet on the roster. So you, you kind of hope that he figures that out eventually and things sort of go forward in a positive direction from there. Yeah. I think another thing that Tony hit on there, and I really do uh, agree with, and I don't know, if, if, you know, the Kings brass or coaching staff, I would agree. But I, I, I've always thought, I mean, with, with a Darren Fox, I mean, to me, he could be a 21-point-a-game guy on 16 shots a game, uh, you know, be more efficient, and, and, and the Kings would win more, you know. And, and in that, in my mind, would make him an all-star. 
and and uh, you know win more. Uh, if you win more and you're the best player and and you're leading scorer, you're not scoring as much maybe, but you're still the leading scorer on the winner and a very productive score on a winner uh to me that's i think that's the direction he needs to get to it, it really isn't about trying to get 27 points a game on 25 shots uh you know i, I think we've seen that probably isn't a real good uh, a recipe so we have eight games between now and the next time we speak we've got the timberwolves the raptors the jazz sixers blazers uh lakers memphis and then the lakers again um, just to give you their current standings, which will obviously change by the time we play them. That's the 12th, 5th, 7th, 8th, and 9th seeds in the West, with the Kings being the 10th, and then the 7th and the 10th seeds in the East. Every single one of these teams that we play in the next two weeks, or that the Kings play in the next two weeks, they're all within 2.5 games of the Kings record-wise. So it stands to reason that these are all winnable games in their own right. Now, obviously, guys like the Jazz or the Lakers, they're going to be harder than and some of these other ones, but they're all record-wise winnable games. What needs to happen? What do the Kings need to do for us to come back and talk about a winning record two weeks from now? Well, it, it really gets back to consistency. We've seen them play really well. Uh, and, you know, obviously the Charlotte game where everybody just made shots. And Charlotte's a nice team who was terrible at uh, terrible that particular game. But we've, I mean, I've watched them enough to know they're going to be a probably a winning team in the East and a, and a good team. And the East is better than the West. Uh, so and people don't want to say it, but it's true. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I just think a little more consistency, you know, not, and no, it's not based on, you know, find a way to, to play good basketball when you're not making all your shots, you know, I mean, in other words, uh, yeah, when you can get out in the open floor and the other team's missing and, and you got open threes and you can get to the basket and everybody can pat each other's butt and, and cheerlead a little bit. Well, yeah, uh, how are you going to do when, when you gotta, you've got to play a little half-court offense like the Indiana game? I thought that was a, a great test. Indiana made them play half-court and, and they got it physical. And, and, and the Kings didn't respond well. Well, and, and for them to, and there's no reason they couldn't have, but they didn't. And so I guess that would be my thought there. You're going to have to play games like that if you want to be good. And, and you're going to have to be able to play half court at a reasonably efficient rate. And somebody may, may actually bump you where it'll, it'll hurt you a little bit. <laughs> and, and you just got to, you you know, you've got to continue to play. And uh, I, I, that, that's my only thought there. They've got to find a way to be better when the game gets physical, be better when the game gets to be a half-court game. And in those those areas that they just haven't shown it to me yet. Tony, as a fan, where are you uh, where are you looking for them to improve here in the next eight games? Well, the area where they need, I think, the most improvement is something I'm not all that hopeful for, but it is what it is. And that's sort of their crunch time offense. And Jerry talked about it sort of when the game slows down and you get into the half-court. I'd love to see something more creative because they're keeping some of these games close. I think the Oklahoma city thunder game was a great example of this, where um, you just collapsed in the fourth quarter when the game got tight and nothing worked and the offense stopped. And they've had a couple of games this season where instead of continuing to play your game, when the game got tight, they bled the clock out. They got poor shots. The other team came down, scored quickly or scored more efficiently. And there's your ball game. So I think the Kings will be in some of these games. They're going to get close at some point. We're going to get down to the wire in the fourth quarter and whether that's Luke Walton 
drawing up plays that his guys can at least follow. Cause I know, um, forget which game it was where uh, Tyrese Halliburton took the deep three off the inbound and Walton said, well, it wasn't the play that we called, but I don't hate that shot. Well, we need to figure out what we're doing in crunch time, either run the play that the coach wants you to run and you get a good shot, or I guess be okay with them freelancing for better shots that they think are going to work out. But someone needs to corral this team in crunch time and figure out what the, what the strategy is to score points. Cause I actually think the crunch time defense has been okay. But on offense, it's a it's a disaster once the game slows down and you're you're bleeding the clock and you're looking for a for a good shot in crunch time. Yeah, boy, I really agree with that. I, I mean, you know, I've been preaching that for two years, three years now. <laughs> the last, you know, finding something more structure, what I call it, in, in the last in crunch time, most teams, uh, you know, maybe have some pet plays or things. And I, I'd even take another. I've been thinking about this a while. It's like it seems like when it gets tight that the Kings have tough time moving it by pass, you know, everything's the dribble. And uh, so what can you do in order to relieve pressure on your wings and your guard? Well, hit Rashawn Holmes. You can always hit centers to break pressure and then play off him. Not that he's going to score, but you know, there's not a selfish bone in his body and he, and he actually makes fairly good decisions. So you, you're just, that's a way to start the offense and then get movement and uh, get, get your shooters back with a live dribble instead of wasting a dribble trying to find a shot. And so just some, sometimes it's just that, that simple. But, uh, but certainly in crunch time, it does look like to me that we're getting taken out of things and we're seeing guys, you know, one guy dribbles for 10 seconds, oh, can't find nothing, then he throws it backwards and another guy <laughs> dribbles a while. You know, it's kind of like on the playground at, at recess, you know, where one guy dribbles around and he can't get a shot, so he throws it back to his buddy and see if he can get one. And uh, that probably is not going to be very effective. Jerry, do you put more of that on the coach or more on the players not executing? I'd put a little on both. Sure. You know, I mean, I think they – Sometimes it's as simple as uh, the coach saying, and maybe has, you know, I don't know what he's told them or not, but saying, this is what we can do uh, when they're, when they're overplaying the wing here, this is what we can do to get a shot. That's what they're likely to do or, or, or let's go screen and roll with, with Hallie and Holmes. I know some of the comment commentators have yes. pointed that out and, and, it, and they're right. It, they, those two are very good at that. Uh, but in other words, well, you know, so it's up to the coach to figure out what we can do well in that, in that circumstance. And more importantly, what we're not doing well, let's quit doing it. You know, sure. <laughs> you know, we, if we're dribbling too much, let's find a way not to. Doesn't mean you'll, you know, you, you, know, you may not get better shots, but uh, what's, you know, the old saying, that when you're in the hole, the best thing to do is quit digging. And, uh, and I think that's that from the, my opinion, the last four or five minutes of games, generally speaking, the Kings have not been efficient and boy, just a few, two or three little things they do well and that they know they can do well down the stretch is would make this team better. Just make them better. I don't know how much better, but better. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic point, Tony. The Kings have always kind of Fox Halliburton and buddy all have their own versions of being clutch guards. They all have, kind of big time moments in certain games. And this is the first time, uh, especially in the last couple of years that I can think of that I can name after a week or so, at least three plays where the Kings really botched it, you know, in, in clutch situations, you had a, a chance to get Metu uh, coming down wide open at the basket and Fox waited to throw a lob down there and Metu bumbled it out of bounds. We have the, uh, the, the Harrison Barnes coming up and then, 
Instead, uh, Halliburton kicks it to um, Rashawn Holmes, who kicks it right back for a three that it was a decent look. It was a little deep, but then you have um, – there was another game. I, I The Dort. Three of the four games that yeah. the Kings have played in, if you remove that San Antonio Spurs game, the Kings have lost by a total of, of 10 points. Mm-hmm. And and you change it even two of those games from, from wins to losses, and this team – you know, this fan base isn't talking about, you know, well, I'm going to get fired this week. And instead they're going to be, they're going to be jumping on a hype train. And uh, it, to me, it was one of those things that like these Kings have always seemed to be, you know, fairly clutch. And, and so Jerry, to your point that like, I, I would, I, I do, I do tend to put more on the players, especially this year, but like Walton, some of these have not been very creative Fox coming down. There was almost like a one, four flat set where Fox just ran up to the, the free throw line and pulled up with, you know, five or six seconds left in the, in the game or the Lou Dort play even that I was just like, what the hell are they doing? Like that, that you know, I, I've always expected more from these guys in those moments because they've been big in those moments and then they just couldn't pull it. Yeah. You know, it, it, I was saying the same thing. It's like, I almost had a flashback to the Tyreek Evans, you know, one, four, <laughs> you know, and I, it's like, you know, I mean, you know, Tyreek was a, awfully good awfully good in the open court but uh, mm-hmm. you know it's one of those things it's like well you know uh, that was what was called and it was it just didn't work and it and we kept doing it for, and it never worked <laughs> and it's like it's like yeah why, why do we like this play so much it never works <laughs> it looks good that's why yeah i guess yeah <laughs> so we're going to get into the uh, tmz slash tabloid section of our uh, podcast today uh, the first one is that uh, there was a report from Shams that um, Luke Walton is is on the hot seat officially. That if the Kings continue to lose, that uh, that he'll there's a possibility that he's fired before long. So I'm curious, uh, Jerry and Tony, how much uh, uh, is this justified? First of all, is it justified? Yes or no? And how much further, or what line do the Kings have to cross before Luke Walton loses his job? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I, I... You know, it's it's justified if the owner and general manager think it is. You know, that's that's how it plays out. It, uh, I, I wouldn't. You know, I'm not just this. You know, doing an interim kind of thing uh, this early in the season, boy, that's that's really uh, a stretch. You know, I mean, I, I just I guess just put me down as uh, very negative. If you know, there's always a time you can change coaches. Uh, but I think there's a lot, a lot better time. And here again, I think it, it'd be, uh, I'd, I'd prefer to wait. Uh, do, does, does Lou deserve more time? I can't say that he does, but I can't say that he doesn't. Uh, especially when you don't know what you, you know, when you really don't know what you're doing. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's a Mike Malone situation going to Tyrone Corbin and he's going to lead you to 50 wins. I mean, uh, which we know <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I'd, I'd err. If I was going to err, I'd err on the patient view of it and try to see if this team can't make some, some small strides. If, 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 if just that, just some small strides uh, for a while. And then, then Luke, like uh, any coach has to, has to be held accountable because I, I do think the fans have a right to think that the team is making real progress. And certainly if it's the team looks like it's headed for another 34, 35 win season, uh, that's not real progress. So. <laughs> yeah. Tony, as a, as a hot blooded, as our, uh, as our resident angry, hot blooded Kings fan, 
um, w- when do you start pulling out the picket signs? When do you start, uh, uh, you know, you've been to the arena a million times in the last couple of years. So, so when do you stop boycotting these games all the way from Boston? This was actually surprising to me as someone who isn't like a, a big Luke Walton fan and someone who would understand why Luke Walton would find himself on the hot seat at some point. I'm sure if you looked at the gambling sites, he's one of the, he probably has the best odds for first coach fired or he's pretty close to it. I mean, it's not a secret that Luke Walton's on a short leash here, but at this point or when that report came out, the Kings were just 13 games into the season coming off of a four game losing streak, which is not good, obviously, but we've had 13 game stretches in Kings basketball over the last 15 years that are way worse than what we just saw Luke Walton and this Kings team put together with no accountability or no repercussions coming from that at all. So I found just the timing pretty surprising, honestly, especially when, again, it was only 13 games in. So 13 games before this, Monty McNair was telling us that he was going to, that he was a big fan of Luke Walton. Luke Walton was going to lead us to the playoffs. Luke Walton is his guy, et cetera. For all of that to change, at least, you know, what they're saying publicly in 13 games, that was the part that I found surprising. If the Kings get rid of Luke Walton at some point this season, it would not be that surprising. But to have it come out this early after a 13-game stretch that was not good, but honestly not that bad. Like, it, it wasn't the worst we've seen. So the timing there is very fascinating to me. I'm sure we'll hear more in the coming days of what went into it. But uh, I would say more than anything, it was the timing that surprised me about this report. Jerry, I'm curious whether you think that if that getting rid of Walton at all this season at any point um, and changing him over to who we, I think we can all assume would be Alvin Gentry. Is, is there a chance that at any point this season that that would actually make any sort of discernible change or, or would you just come, come time for Walton to be fired and Alvin Gentry take his place? Would you just consider that a lost season at that point? Well, I, I, I do think if you have to change coaches mid year or something, there's a reason you do it. It, it pretty much is a lost year uh, because you're, you're going to change coaches because a record is uh, not very good and uh, not near as good as what you thought it'd be. So that right there, unless you think that Alvin's going to come in and make a humongous difference. And, and you know, I'm a, I've known Alvin for forever and uh, like him, think the world of him, but it's also true. You know, he's been a head coach five times, fired five times. <laughs> so, so that's a reality of that. And, and I, and I, and I would think if I'm Alvin, I wouldn't take the job on a, just a half year basis either, you know, sure. you know, it's his career. So, uh, uh, so, so I, I don't know. I, I, I just think that uh, in my mind, if you're 40 games into the season and the teams are rolling along 14 and 26, well, you probably got to do something. And at that point you might as well, uh, you know, it, it probably is a lost cause as far as playoffs or anything else. And, and uh, I don't want to sound like Will Griffith here, but you might as well be looking at the, at the, <laughs> at, the at the draft at that, at that, at that stage. Uh, Jerry, you know what? I've been more positive. I feel like the 90% of, of, uh, of our, of our media in Sacramento this season, I have not freaked out one time. My previews when I've written them have all been fairly like, okay, they're not doing as bad as I thought. They're not doing as good as we hoped, but, and, and it's refreshing to me to not be the one pulling my hair out and screaming at the top of my lungs. Well, bless your heart. Cause I'm not, I mean, you know, and I, that's what I'll say. I, I don't, uh, I mean, I, I guess if I knew for sure who the Kings say, we're going to change coaches and this, who, sure. who we have in mind and we can get whether at the end of the year or 
take over and, and he's going to be the guy. And, you know, and you have some sort of a, in my mind, a, some reason to believe that this would be an answer. Not here again. I know if, you know, just reading all the fans, they've got this person or that person. Oh, that person would be great. Well, what have they done? Well, they've sat on a bench somewhere. Uh, yeah. That doesn't, sometimes it works. Uh, sometimes it doesn't, but you know, I, yeah, if you, if you can get, uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau really wants out of New York and he wants to come. Well, that, that gets, that gets intriguing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but I, I guess that's where I lean. I, I just like, I probably said too much on the, like on the general manager thing, same way. I, I just kind of lean toward, I, I would prefer to see someone who has done it, you know, somewhere along the line has had success and you know, with the right, level of players they can have it because they've done it as opposed to, to maybe they can do it because they haven't not done it yet <laughs> as somebody who uh tweeted out a list of possible head coaching uh candidates i i had somebody ask me well who would you want then and i listed off about 15 people uh in the case that it w- did happen i will say that i do think i do think you're right here and i think the general consensus here is right that I don't think Walton leaving fixes the problems that the Kings have right now. Now, long-term, uh, if he's fired at the end of the season and the Kings have a, an established guy come in or a, they have some whiz somewhere that they're giving a first opportunity to, okay. But for a team that's trying to make the playoffs, for a team that is built to make the playoffs, L- Luke Walton being fired isn't going to help that at all. I don't see Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry, we know what we've got. He's a known commodity. We know what he'll do, and I don't think it'll change that much. He's been on, you know, he's been the assistant or the associate head coach now for a season, season and a half. This is this is partially his team, and he's, I'm sure, him and Luke talk all the time and have similar visions of this team. I don't think there will be such a grand departure that all of a sudden we can see a situation like McMillan last year in the Hawks. I think I think we'd pretty much get the same result, much more in line with a Corbin where the Kings are going to continue to plot along the way they were beforehand. So I will officially put my name in the hat of as much as I don't value Luke Walton very much as a coach. I, I don't see firing him as a solution till the end of the season, at least. Yeah. That, that's my only thought there too, is like, well, you know, if you're going to change coaches, uh, first thing I'd want to do is have as many possibilities as I could get. Well, that means, uh, you know, certainly there'll be some coaches available at the end of the year that aren't now. Uh, also, maybe you might want to go to Europe and look into some of the top guys there. Uh, obviously, some some assistants that have had a lot of success, uh, maybe some different spots. Uh, you know, I think you look at that. Maybe even certain college guys. Uh, definitely, there's some college guys, uh, you know, that uh, I think would be interesting, especially ones that have had experience in the NBA. I don't think just guys out of the college ranks work anymore. But uh, uh, so, you know, to, to have a bigger pool now, and then, you know, I know it sounds strange maybe in Sacramento, but maybe you'd want to interview a bunch of them. <laughs> you know, wow, what a concept. And, and, uh, First and of the decade, Jerry, yeah, you calm know, down here. You know, and uh, yeah, and maybe have somebody that, you know, actually could ask questions uh, that have something to do with, with the coaching and, and know something about it. I, I think rather than uh, maybe being politically correct or whatever your main criteria would be, I don't know. Tony, I want to get you on the record. Are you pro or are you against 
Firing Luke Walton right now. Slapping that button right now. I would have done it. Yes, I'll do it now. That's fine with me. Just because <laughs> I feel like that's an inevitability for this team. And I and I understand yeah. that that's going to maybe be an aggressive take or whatever. I just feel like that is where this is going with Monty McNair and Luke Walton, unless something great happens. And if that great thing happens, awesome. Like if the Kings are great this year and they make the playoffs and they surprise everyone and Luke Walton stays on, fine. But I just see this going in in that direction anyways. And if I'm wrong, I will gladly say that I was wrong. But so that's kind of why I'm just like, sure, do whatever. That's fine with me. To go the other extreme though, Jerry, I feel like if the Kings make the play in or the Kings make the playoffs, I I wouldn't be surprised to see if I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings give Luke at least another year on his contract or two, a small extension, probably not four years, but it would not surprise me at all to see that they go, okay, well, he succeeded in where we told him to go. He locked down that very coveted eighth seed or, oh boy, would they fought and they got the ninth seed and beat the eighth seed. Is that something that's out of the realm of possibility, Jerry? I think there's only one of two things. He's either getting extended uh, or he's getting fired at the end of the season. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly what's going to happen. One or the other, <laughs> I think that, and then that's a matter of, of you know, of what what uh, really what the ownership and uh, and Monty thinks the team should have done, and it kind of gets back to Tony's point. If they at some point, uh, if if they don't feel like the team measured up to what their potential was, well, uh, you know, we've seen coaches get fired after all-time records. I mean, I remember George Carl getting fired yep. in Denver after they won the most games in their history. Or, yes. or uh, <laughs> I mean, Denny, Vinny Del Negro broke an all-time record in, in the Clippers, you know, 56, 57 wins. They never actually won any more in that sense, but he was fired. <laughs> you know, so, so those things happen. So I always say if a coach can get fired for winning more games than any time in their history, I think you can fire them for having a good year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you if you if you don't think it's good enough, and and so that, that would be the the, the decision. Now, you know, and for us trying to decide, get in the minds of, of those the decision makers, I think that I don't know that I'd want to be in the in the minds. You might not come back, but you yeah. uh, <laughs> might be a goner. But yeah. uh, but uh, so yeah, I. You know, I, I see Tony's point, and I read all the comments, and I, I get, you know, fans are really frustrated and and have every right to. You know, I am too. I, I just, I just want to, I want to see the team make the right choice. Yeah. You know, if they're going to make a switch, make the right switch. Don't just do it. Well, just because. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> The one reason why, where I think it actually would make sense for a decision, and it's something I talked about earlier, and this is me just making a point that I don't know if it's, uh, I could just be bringing this up out of thin air, but I am curious if Monty McNair, uh, if, if Monty McNair was asked who to start at forward today, if his answer would also be Chemezi Metu. For some reason, I have a feeling it wouldn't be. <laughs> and that's the part where I could see, because we've seen this with Michael Malone, actually, where it was, um, he's not playing the style that we want him to play and Ty Corbin will do it a way we want to. And that will be better. So I could see a scenario where Monty McNair looks at what Luke Walton is doing. And for this example, we'll just use starting Chemezi Metu at forward instead of playing his guards and going small. I could see a situation where McNair and Vivek are meeting. And again, this is me cultivating this, you know, scenario in my head, but they're meeting and Vivek saying, Hey, you know, why aren't we playing as well as you told me we would? And McNair will go, well, hey, I, I built this team of, of small ball guards and the coach is 
starting Chemezi Metu, like this guy who wasn't even a factor in our rotation heading into the season. I could see a situation there where, while I don't think Alvin Gentry is a much better coach than Luke Walton, if Monty McNair will uh, maybe come to the, to the decision that, hey, at least Gentry will play the roster how I sort of intended it, and Luke Walton is kind of doing it his way, that's one scenario where I could see them making the switch. And it's actually like, hey, I understand this is not a long-term solution, but at least Mo uh, Monty Manier is getting some data for the roster he put together instead of sort of wasting the season collecting data, playing a style that he really didn't intend. I don't know if that's what's happening. That's a scenario that I could sort of see play out. You, we mentioned this, we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but I want to full on ask it here. Where does Monty McNair and company factor into this in terms of the blame? You know, he is the one that built this roster. He is the one that not only had the chance to fire the coach in the offseason, but very loudly proclaimed that Luke Walton would be the guy to bring them back to the playoffs. How much pressure should be on his shoulders at this point? Well, I think you, you know, you start, if you're going to, if you decide to change the coaches, you're going to eyeball the general manager a little bit. I, I mean, yeah. uh, at some point, I mean, that, 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 I've always said in, in days of old, the general manager usually got to fire two or three coaches before. Uh, in today's game, I think it's it's been shrunk to about two coaches. You you know, I mean, it's like before uh, before people start saying, "Wait a minute, what about you?" Uh, that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, Monty has certainly made it clear that Luke's his coach for this year. So so that. That has to be factored in again as well. If in fact there was a change, uh, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's just one of those ugly scenarios that I, you know, I, I sure hope it'd be nice if the team could just play better and take care of a lot of it. And and you know the the the, the last little thing I'd say on this whole thing is that you'd like to know what the uh, the players think about the whole thing because really it, that's awfully important. It, uh, you know, the periphery people and people like us, uh, you know, if the players would be affected negatively by the switch, as we saw with Mike Malone, you know, it, mm -hmm. that, that didn't go well, you know, it, right. <laughs> uh, right. uh, you know, just, just a little minor point. It didn't go well now. It, and, and Mike Malone's a heck of a coach, you know, by the way, he might, he might even be available next year, by the way, just a thought, <laughs> uh, that's the reality of the business. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just think that, that, that the players themselves, until they're convinced that the coach is holding them back, and I don't believe that's the case today. I just don't. Yep. And so uh, if – and it could very well get there. Don't get me wrong. One thing, one thing everybody in the NBA knows is uh, the players will start pointing fingers outward before they'll point them in. You know, sure. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah. so uh, when, when you start seeing that – then that's probably, you know, when you start having some team meetings, a few things of that nature, and 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 then they all come out and say, oh, it's it, we've got to do better. Well, what they're saying is, yeah, we've decided it really ain't us. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And to Jerry's point, the players they supported Luke Walton as as recently as last night. I think it was Tyrese Halliburton who came out and said, "Hey, we're together. He's our coach. We love him." They said that at the end of last season when there was conversation about maybe replacing Luke Walton. So if nothing else, he definitely has the support of the players, and that's definitely worth mentioning. Yeah, it really is because it puts so much pressure. If you were to switch a coach that they don't want switched, the next guy up, it better, you know, it's, it's got to hit it right and quick 
because it could then it could or it could be just a disaster. I mean, so I guess people I know fans are saying it already is a disaster, Jerry, you fool. <laughs> a double disaster. <laughs> yeah, it could be a worse disaster. You know that I always I've always used to over the years that your fans say, Well, it can't get any worse. And I said, Oh yeah, I can. <laughs> oh, I've seen it. Oh yeah, don't don't worry. I've seen it get worse. Yeah. Like I say, the, the Mike the Mike Malone thing was well, maybe the classic. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. It can't get worse. Oh, yeah, I can. I've already seen those tweets this year, Jerry, where people said, I don't know how it could get any worse. And as a tanker who last year was very much like, uh, not necessarily hoping for it, but going, oh, I'd be okay if it did. Like, I'm looking at a six and eight record going, what do you mean it can't get worse? This is the best it's been in a while. Yeah. Ask, ask New Orleans yes. if it can get worse. Absolutely. You know, ask, ask New Orleans if it could get worse or, <laughs> or, or Orlando or, you know, there's some teams that, yeah, they're, they're worse. So, you know, and the classic there's Houston. I mean, their best player making $45 million a year don't play. That's a great plan there. <laughs> so we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the, uh, into our uh, tabloid section of the, of the show here. And I want to mention this only because it is news. And it'll be something that people will actually want us to discuss. Um, I'm all the way done on Marvin Bagley as a player and as, as a member of the Sacramento Kings. I think most of the players are as well. It's one of those things I told Brendan on uh, the Kings Pulse that like he might as well have disappeared into the ether or, 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 or completely just gone from my memory. I do not feel one way or another about this, but Marvin Bagley refused to enter a game against the Suns. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the end all be all of it. Are you surprised at all that this wasn't met with a fine for the Kings just sending him home? Is this completely a non-story? Also, we also saw him a couple of games later enter the game and play against the Pistons. And where does that factor into all of this? Well, I, I, I do hope, I, I, you know, I don't know if there's been any, any mention of it. I, I hope he was fined. He should have been fined. And uh, I think if, they, if, if he wasn't, it's a real mistake on the part of the, the, the leadership, because uh, you can't allow that. Uh, you know, it, it happens more than you might think around the league. I, I know that over the years, but, but usually it's, it's, it, uh, it isn't as pub made as public. And, you know, the Kings, you know, I think Sean Cunningham just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, yes. But, but that, that sort of thing happens, but it also consistently really results in big fines or, or suspensions of, of that night. So, so I hope that's what happened because I think if you don't, it, the other players, that's where the other players start, you know, uh, looking at you a little cross-eyed at some point and uh, as they should. Uh, but, uh, you know, my, my feeling on Marvin now is pretty much like you guys. I, he, he needs to be somewhere else. He needs to be somewhere else. He can play in the league. And uh, if you watch the Pistons last night, you can damn sure see he could play for the Pistons. <laughs> yes, he definitely could play for them. You know, I mean, my God. And I mean, he could play for Oakland. I mean, he, he can play in the league. And, and, and he, needs, he needs a change. The Kings need a change. And you're not going to get what you want for him. Uh, so that ship sailed. Get what you can get and move on. And that might and that might give the team a little jolt as well. Tony, we uh, we've heard reports of uh, the Pistons being interested in Marvin Bagley, and wouldn't you know it, boy howdy! But Marvin enters the game against the Pistons and plays for a little bit of time. Uh, tell me what you thought about that, and uh, and whether or not this means anything at all, or if I'm just padding for time here. 
Well, I mean, it, it could be a showcase. I, I, the showcase like thing is something funny to me because I've never, I don't know. It seems like something that only the fans talk about. I don't know if anyone's, because I mean, they know who Marvin Bagley is, right? I guess they learned that he can still literally move. Like he's a human being with arms and legs that can run up and down a court. I guess maybe they learned that. Um, I'm not sure they learned anything about his skills or his game in those, what, 10, 15 minutes he played the other night. But sure, like Jerry said, he he would certainly fit on that team. Uh, he would get some minutes, um, and I I don't think I don't th I think we're past the point where the Kings are holding out uh, for an asset for Bagley. I think they would probably you know move him for just about anything. If I had to give a reason for why the Kings haven't done that yet, is that what Marvin Bagley is is a fairly big expiring contract, and I don't think Monty McNair wants to just dump what could be a money asset at the trade deadline. You might need that to bring in a better player. You might need to package that with picks to bring in something with an equal contract. So I, there is at least strategically a reason why the Kings wouldn't just kind of shuffle Marvin Bagley away right now when the trade deadline is coming up and you might need an expiring contract. That's a pretty good size expiring contract that for a team that should be looking for upgrades, particularly on the wing, uh, that's an, it's, a, it's not an asset as a player but it's an asset as a contract that I can see why Monty McNair is holding on to. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of things in play that we have no way of knowing. And, and like you say, in a lot of teams, there might be some teams interested in Marvin, but they don't have the cap room to take him. And so, you know, basically, okay. The only way then you you're taking somebody back that you don't want. Well, why do that? Uh, you know, why do that? And, and as, as uh, Tony pointed out, I mean, you might be able to, use it differently. So, so, you know, you, you'd hope that maybe there, you know, is a, a player that you could utilize or you think you could, or like to have a look at as well as maybe some seconds or something like that. And you could probably, <clears throat> probably move on, but uh, probably, you know, I, I think there's no doubt that the, uh, that probably what Damani hoped to get and felt he could get a, a year ago is very different than that right now. Just so that we uh, we have this completely covered, so nobody can accuse us of, of ignoring a story or making sure that we we underplayed it at all. Jerry, do you see any signals or any smoke in the air uh, involving um, the coaching unit or problems in the locker room for the story with with Marvin or anything else like that, or is this just a small thing that we really shouldn't we should just pass by in the night and keep going? I don't think it's a as near as. I don't think it's a terribly big thing uh, at this stage. Mm -hmm. I think a year or so ago it would have been, but I think that ship is pretty pretty much sailed. And you know the players that are playing know they're playing, and uh, their, their their world isn't affected to speak of at all. So that makes it uh, you know less of a problem. Like I say, the only thing that would concern me is if if in fact uh, he wasn't disciplined at all for a very undisciplined act on his part and uh, that 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 could change things because I, I i from what i'd heard from some reliable sources that uh you know uh, he was he kind of it was okay you know he was okay you know yeah. and 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 every locker room has guys that aren't playing that would that want to play and sometimes get a little disgruntled uh and, and so I'm, I'm confident the kings are no different uh, the, the most most guys understand it and handle it pretty well. And what I've heard, you know, with Marvin, you know, until the till the uh, disciplinary thing uh, had handled it decent. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I I I wouldn't think that's a big deal. I, I just think the team, as we said, I think the team would be better off if they could get something close. Uh, you know, something that maybe gives them a, a little hope in the future and maybe a, a, a roster guy that they could slide in somewhere and have a good look at, you know, you know, just say, hey, we don't this guy might be a player probably isn't, but it's worth a risk. Well, we're going to talk about uh, Team Bagley's favorite uh, coach for just a second here and uh, wishing a, a speedy recovery to former Kings coach Dave Yeager. Mm-hmm who was recently diagnosed with a, a very treatable form of head and neck cancer. It sounds like they caught it early. He said that it's 90% treatable or in, in cases it's 90% successful. So we just wanted to, at the Kings Herald, Dave Yeager was, uh, was one of those coaches that, you know, maybe it didn't turn out the way that we'd all hoped, but he's a decent coach and a decent guy. And so uh, we wish him a, a, a speedy recovery uh, uh, for, for Dave there. Yeah, Dave, uh, you know, Dave's got a lot of coaching years ahead. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, like I say, caught it early. And so he'll be back and and certainly deserves another head coaching opportunity somewhere along the line. And uh, I really like Dave. I mean, I really do think that he would rank right with the very best coaches the Kings have had. Certainly offensively, other than Rick Adelman, might might have been the best. But everybody's other, other than Rick Adelman. <laughs> Rick, Rick's in a category also on that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tony, why don't we go uh, to our uh, Patreon question of the day? Sure. Um, on every episode of this podcast, we ask one question from our King's Herald patrons. That's uh, patreon.com slash King's Herald. Ask Jerry a question. We forward it to Jerry. He gives you his take. Any question we don't use on this podcast, we ask in a uh, monthly Q&A on Patreon where we collect all the extra bonus questions and, and lump them all together for one bonus episode. Um, question this week actually comes from someone on staff. This is from Greg Wissinger. And Greg wants to know, uh, when a team goes through a bad streak, what are you looking for? What are the signs that something is just bad luck versus a sign of a bigger issue? Jerry, uh, what do you think? Well, look, as usual, Greg comes up with some good ones. But uh, I, I think you're always probably looking just for effort. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you can play – uh, you, you can go out there and bust your hump and, and, and be playing as well as you can and lose because the other team's better. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I mean, we've had teams not been associated with some that just played their hearts out and just simply weren't good enough. Well, what you're looking for, I mean, when, when you start seeing something less than that, you know, the guys kind of not being ready to start a game, uh, starting to maybe look for stats, you know, you, you as a coach, you can start seeing that, that okay, they're kind of maybe busted a play, uh, looking, looking, you know, so there's little signs, you know, it's a, I've always said it's a little bit like a, being a, a, a teacher, uh, a young teacher in a high school or something, uh, you know, you'll start seeing little creeping disciplinary problems. You know, kids, uh, oh, they can get, they got away with this, now they'll try to get away with that. Pretty soon you you know, you better lay the hammer down or, or it'll be, it'll be out of control. And, and, and you can see that with teams uh, when, when things start going bad, it, it, it just kind of a creeping, it's not a consistent effort, some guys more for themselves. And, and uh, so, you know, it's the, you know, you gotta, you know, like Barney Fife said in, in the Andy Griffith show, you nip it, nip it in the bud. Uh, and and I, I think if you can uh, do that, and, and that's one of the things I, I, even with the poor play of the Kings, I've seen them not be 
come out of the shoot very well a few times, but I think overall the effort has been pretty good. And I don't think there's, there's not selfishness per se. I see guys doing more than they should try to do one-on-one, but I don't think they're doing it just for their stats. I I think they just think that's the way they got to do it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I I think there's, that's a good question. And and boy, it's hard. It's hard to to know. And, uh, and like I say, sometimes it's with the better teams um, more than the, the bad teams. You know, you'll find the, you'll find the star teams. And I think we've seen some of that early in this season where some of the, the supposed favorites have come out yeah. pretty nonchalant. And so, so that, that would uh, kind of play into it, you know, a little bit of the, the, you know, the getting a little bit satisfied with yourself. So, so anyway, I don't know if I'd answered it, but that's about the best answer I got for you. Well, Jerry, let's get to our uh, Reynolds wrap up for today. Well, you know, I, I think it's just the thing. I'm just looking through the stats and the standings. I, I, I'm a, still a stat guy. I, I don't watch games as much as I used to. I don't watch everything, you know. I, but it, it always intrigues me of the teams that aren't supposed to be good when they're good. Like, for instance, in the East, the two top teams are the Washington Wizards and the Chicago Bulls. Now, who had that coming? You know? Who had that coming? And and the Eastern finalist, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and champion, and the Atlanta Hawks. Down, they wouldn't be in the playoffs right now or play in. I don't think. I think that, you know. So now, I'm pretty confident that's going to switch. Yeah. But but I mean, it, it is it is of interest, and that's why I think sometimes you know it's it's like of course the Hawks were a great example of that last year, where patience really is a virtue. Uh, what uh, things can change. And so I don't mean that necessarily for the Kings. I don't think we're going to see that kind of a change. I wish we would, but uh, uh, the NBA, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And, and, you know, talent's the main thing. Coaching is a very important part, but really chemistry and camaraderie, it, it really is a special thing. And I always remember the great, you know, Al Adels talking to him once about the great championship team he had with Rick Barry and stuff. And he said, you know, we all of us, it was barely a little over 500 team most of the year. He said, you know, we just clicked in and the chemistry was great. He said, I don't know how we got it. And later the next year we lost it. And I don't know how we lost. It. And, and, and I thought that was, you know, and, and I think that's so much a part of it. So let's just hope the, in particular, the Kings uh, finds more of it and keeps it. I see, Jerry, I thought you were going to mention that it was the Cleveland Cavaliers who are currently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Well, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jerry. <laughs> no, I forgot. Yeah, the Cavs are having a marvelous year. Unfortunately, Mobley got hurt, you know, yeah. and, and I, I watched him a good bit the other night. And like I say, I, I enjoy watching the rookies, and certainly I like our guy, even though I, I, I took some shots at him, but I think they were fair. Uh, but I, I sure like him. But, but I mean, Mobley and, and Scotty Barnes are still. I mean, I just think they're, you know, to me, I don't really believe Kate Cunningham or Jalen Green are in their category now or maybe never. I don't, and I like them both. You know, I like them both, but I, I believe those two guys are, they could be franchise kind of guys. And boy, howdy, wouldn't you know it, but those guys were real close to the Kings record last year. And if we'd have just lost a couple of more games, 
we might have been up there too. I tell you what, we'll get smarter every day, isn't it? I may, I may, I may, I may come on board the wheel, the wheel train pretty soon. There you go. Uh, don't do that. We'll lose every single one of our <laughs> listeners. If I have the power in this show, Jerry, we have lost, and we can might we might as well just shut it down. So we'll stay positive. The Kings are only uh, two games two games away from five hundred. They are playing better than this old grump old grump meaning me ever expected. Um, and they are right there at the 10 seed, as Tony pointed out. That's exactly where Tony wanted them to be with with plenty of room to grow if they can just lock back down and commit to what was getting them wins in the first place this season. Well, just remember, when I turn on them, that's the time they need turned on. <laughs> uh, so for everyone here at the Kings Herald, uh, the positives and the negative ones, um, we want to thank you for uh, listening to another episode of the Kings Herald Show. Uh, makes a, a great big difference to us that you uh, that you tune in every two weeks. Uh, if you ever have any interest in uh, joining our uh, our special episodes on Patreon, you can always do that by going to patreon.com and searching us at the Kings Herald. And um, thanks again, and uh, we'll we'll see you. Uh, I'm sure with a whole bucket of more drama here in two weeks. So thanks again. <laughs>